And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me in the studio again this week is Dr. Hans Vogt, Professor, Ulster County Community College. Hans, it's great to have you here. Good to be here, Dan. And Pastor Mark Diedrich. Mark, thanks for coming here today. It's always good to be here, especially it's good to be here with Hans. That's right. Always fun, always learn a lot from Hans. (laughs) Well, you know, last time together we were talking about World War I. There was so much to cover, we barely got through what we wanted to cover. And so today we thought we'll continue the discussion. Um, Now, before we get into it too far, Hans, could you uh, review uh, why did World War I start and uh, who were the players involved? Well, it's basically a result of, of nationalism laced with Darwinism. Everybody trying to prove they're the top dog, they're the best nation. You have an alliance system that, that triggers the Germany to back up Austria and France to back up Russia and Britain to back up France. Mm-hmm. And one by one, the, the dominoes fall and, and all the great powers go to war. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the last time, we talked about how the U.S. eventually gets dragged in in 1917 as a result of German submarine warfare and the Zimmerman telegram. Okay. So that's kind of where we're starting here today. Um, World War I is, is going. At that time, it's called the Great War. Someone said the war to end all wars, which is kind of a joke. Um, but uh, that, that was sincerely believed by a few. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's keep going here. The U.S. is in World War I. Um, we're sending troops. It took us a while to get mobilized, get our men trained and guns ready to go. And so what happens next? Well, it's really interesting, the timing here, because what happens is uh, over in Europe, things had changed dramatically in the winter of 1918. Russia had been losing badly for several years. The Russian people were unhappy and frustrated. And in 1917, they have two revolutions. The first, in March of 1917, Tsar Nicholas is overthrown. A provisional republic is established under Alexander Kerensky. Had Kerensky gotten Russia out of the war at that point, Russia might have developed as a constitutional democracy. Wow. And the Mm -hmm. next hundred years of history would have been very, very different. I'll bet, yeah. But Kerensky felt honor-bound, and the British and French secretly promised him anything and everything to keep Russia in the war. Mm-hmm. So six months later, there's a second revolution in early November or late October by the Russian calendar. And that's when Lenin and the Bolsheviks, the Russian communists, seize power. Yes. And, of course, that communist revolution in Russia is going to dramatically shape world history. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. But in the short term, what it does is the communists want no part of this fight. Uh, As far as Lenin and the communists were concerned, this was the death throes of capitalism. Mm -hmm. And so in January 1918, he takes Russia out. They sign a peace treaty with Germany, the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk. And what that allows Germany to do is take all the troops from the Eastern Front, move them over to the Western Front in the spring of 1918, and launch the final offensive. Mm. Now they have a numeric advantage. Now they're going to smash through the lines and capture Paris and win the war. And that's the point at which Pershing's two million-plus Americans show up just in the nick of time from the Allied perspective. Mm -hmm. 
Right. And Mark, uh, facts on the ground. How did our troops get there? How did they physically get there? Well, our troops had to had to be shipped over there by ships. Mm. There's no no aviation. The Limburg flight right. was going would not occur for another ten years. Then, of course, it was only Limburg flying himself over. And in fact, intercontinental flight, although it did take place mm-hmm. in World War II and the ferrying of some of our planes over there. It really didn't take place until after World War II. Okay. I mean, Pan Am was doing it with their flying boats, but... Uh, you know, it's interesting to think about it, that so much has developed from that time until now. I mean, you know, nowadays kids have their cell phones. You would never even think of that back then. Yeah. I mean, the uh, first transcontinental telephone call, I think, was like 1926. So much has developed. Um Let's keep going now. Um, U.S. gets involved in this war. Uh, Germany looks like they they take their troops from the Eastern tr- Front, send them over to the Western. U.S. comes in in the nick of time. What happens next? Well, it's uh, it's in some ways a replay of the first year of the war. Initially, yeah. the Germans do break through the center of the line. Uh, they push again towards the Marne River. Uh, they get to about within 20 miles of Paris. Uh, and once again, they're stopped at what's called the Second Battle of the Marne. Uh, and then, uh, beginning in August, the French and British and American forces begin counteroffensives okay. all along the Western Front. Most of the American troops are fighting the Meuse-Argonne sector, uh, and that's, that's where the bulk of the American Expeditionary Force will fight. Uh, there are other units integrated with French troops, uh, in particular, many of the African-American regiments, because of segregation, uh, and the French weren't concerned about that, and so many of the African-American units, uh, like the famous Harlem Regiment, actually fought with the French mm. units in, in the French sector of the line, mm. yes. and acquitted themselves very well. Yeah. And then, of course, we had Sergeant York, who came in and yes. mm-hmm. uh, captured a bunch of people, <laughs> Germans. And- so how much longer do we have to go before... This war will finally conclude. Well, by point. late October, the, the Germans have been pushed back into Belgium uh, and towards the Rhine. And what, uh, what's the year now? This is the fall of 1918. Still 1918. Okay. Uh, the German mm-hmm. government collapses. Kaiser Wilhelm abdicates. Mm. And the new provisional government begins peace negotiations. Okay. And finally, the armistice or ceasefire agreement is signed on November 11th, 1918, at 11 a.m., and of course, as the, the famous saying goes, the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month. Oh, that's, yeah, mm-hmm. okay. All right. Which is, then becomes our holiday of Veterans Day. Oh, yeah. that's cool. Yeah, I like that. All right, so the war has now reached a concluding point, and we never have a war again. <laughs> right. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens with these various countries that had been involved in this grand conflict. What happens to Germany, for example? Well, we said that Woodrow Wilson finally Mm -hmm. decides to enter the war so that he can dictate the peace. But, of course, he can't dictate the peace. Uh, And so you have have a peace conference in Paris starting in January of 1919. Woodrow Wilson personally attends, and uh, he's the first president to go to Europe while in office. Uh, And uh, he will, of course, be joined by 
most of the leaders of the countries involved. Mm-hmm. Nobody invites the communists from Russia, okay. so they're not they're okay. excluded. But really, it's going to be Woodrow Wilson, David Lloyd George, who's the Prime Minister of Great Britain, and um, Georges Clemenceau, okay. who's the Premier of France. They're really the big three, you know, mm-hmm. the three principal allies who are going mm-hmm. to dominate uh, the peace conference and the treaty that comes out of this, which is called the Treaty of Versailles. Oh, okay. Signed in the Hall of Mirrors in the Palace of Versailles in, in mm-hmm. uh, France. You know, when I was a boy, I'd... I'd have to. I went to the public school system back then. Um, I'd have to take these courses, and I didn't like school at all. But anyway, um, I'd have to take history, and it was torturous. But you know what happens now? Now I'm interested in all of this, and I wish I had been a better better student. Um, all these things are important. You can put in a plug right now if you want, Professor. The importance <laughs> of history. Can you can you share that with us really quick? I know it's a it's a rabbit trail, but. Um, we need to learn from this stuff and, and avoid these terrible mistakes in the future. Well, as the, the philosopher Santayana said, those who do not remember the past are condemned to relive it. Yeah. Uh, and that's the, yeah. the primary reason we study history is to yeah. hopefully learn from our mistakes. Really? Today we're talking about World War I. And uh, the thing that um, prompted us to do that was just last month, um, July the 28th, uh, was the the very beginning of that great war, uh, as as Hans has reminded us. Um, so, what happens next? We've talked a little bit about Germany. Somehow, the seeds are sown that will eventually lead to a World War II. There, and what happens in their thinking? I wonder what what goes on there. One historian has called the peace conference and the treaty the peace to end all peace. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a play on that war to end all war thing. Uh, You you know, you've got different agendas. I mean, Woodrow Wilson has this very idealistic agenda. Every people group is going to have their own government and self-determination. We're going to create a League of Nations so that all the nations can gather together and peacefully resolve Mm -hmm. their their differences. Again, it's very much that idea of let's bring about the millennium. Let's let's try to make it happen by our own force. Is it it a... An implied um, belief in the goodness of man, perhaps, uh, overly? Yeah, you wonder, you know, with this Presbyterian background, he should know better, (laughs) you know. (laughs) 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 But but you see that, and he should have actually seen it right there. I mean, Clemenceau Clemenceau was out for revenge. There's clearly he just... And, of course, France is right next to Germany, so he wants to make sure they're secure. And Mm -hmm. so... They make all these rules that really just devastate Germany. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can't have an army. They can't have anything. And of course, Great Britain—they're the—they're the Lord of the Seas. So no navy mm-hmm. either. So yeah. that total destruction. So, so that incites uh, resentment and maybe uh, boldens the will to say, "What? Of course we're going to be our own sovereign." You know that. Yeah. Is that what kind of happens? Well, yeah, I mean, Germany, Germany does lose some territory. They lose their army and navy. They're forced to pay crippling reparations, which are mm-hmm. designed to ruin the German economy and, and do mm-hmm. so. Mm-hmm. Um, and even aviation. The aviation, they're not supposed to fly. And, in fact, most of the great German pilots of World War II learned in gliders because mm. airplanes were not allowed. Okay. 
And, you know, uh, uh, one of the British participants, John Maynard Keynes, uh, who will go on to become a very famous economist, mm-hmm. influential economist, writes this book, The Carthaginian Peace. And he says, all this is going to do is going to embitter the Germans, and someday some German leader is going to come along and promise to right the wrongs of this treaty. And he also oh, warns, yes. Germany is the number two industrial power in the world at this time. He says, if you ruin the German economy with reparations, you will drag down the global economy with it. And in large part, that's what happens with the oh, global yes. Great Depression. Yeah. Yeah. Who's that writer that said that? Uh, John Maynard Keynes, the okay. British economist. Now, that, that is what happens. Now, on the other hand, though, you can make a case that the best way to have prevented World War II, and of course nobody knew that was coming, no, uh, would have been to do what nobody actually talked about doing in Paris, and that is break Germany back up. Mm-hmm. Germany had only been a united country for a couple of decades. Okay, Had Germany been divided after the war, which is what they will do after World War II, hmm. it would have been, not impossible, but more difficult for Adolf yes. Hitler to reassemble the pieces. The thing. Yeah. Adolf Hitler was alive at the time, certainly. He was yeah. a veteran of yeah. World mm-hmm. War I. He yeah. was decorated twice with the Iron Cross for bravery, uh-huh. fighting in the German army in World War I. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. Well, we're talking today about World War One. Any other... Um, comments about the wrap-up of World War One, the implications going forward, anything that we need to cover before we cover a couple more topics. Well, I was just going to say we got a, a couple benefits out of it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I'm again thinking of the, the aviation. That's uh, kind of my expertise yeah. here. But with Russia becoming communist, uh, two of their great early aviators um, is Igor Sikorsky and uh, Alexander Seversky uh, were two of their great aviators and uh, they soon found it necessary to leave mm. and Alexander Seversky got along with Billy Mitchell helped really push our military aviation into the 20th century That's and get it get it caught up and of course Igor Sikorsky not only built airplanes and helped Pan Am cover the world with their Sikorsky flying boats, Mm -hmm. but he also was one of the early inventors of the helicopter. Oh, that's interesting. Yes. Yes. At least there was a little bit of good that came out of it. (laughs) (laughs) We got some good Russians. Uh, And you have uh, new technology as well, Uh, the, the beginnings of... Uh, sonar. Oh, yes. uh, Edison had worked on that to help the Navy try to find the uh, yeah. and avoid the U-boats. U-boats yeah. Oh, yeah. You will have uh, after uh, World War One the beginning of commercial radio broadcasting, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, starting with KDKA in Pittsburgh, PA, in yeah, 1920. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so what we're doing right here is a, a result of, of the, World War One. This hasn't been around that long, isn't no. that amazing? Yeah. No, that's true. I think Moody Moody Broadcasting was shortly thereafter. Was early KDKA, on. KDKA, yeah, I think. Yeah, well, there's 500 radio stations within three years. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it, it just takes they, off. It, it just, yeah, it took off. And, of course, then aviation then really grew in that time. It's often called the golden age of aviation. Mm-hmm. The United States finally did get back in the end of the race and developed well during that time. And we have transports and Commercial aviation started up before the war. Now, um, I'm interested in the 
sociological, and um, seems that we join forces, as it were, with with Russia more than once. Uh, we did that World War Two also, mm-hmm. and yet um, uh, in my day, growing up as a young man, I remember one of the fears during that time in the '60s was. Um, Russia placing missiles in Cuba, the Cuban Missile Crisis, and us kids having to have exercises hiding under our desks, and it was a very real threat. Uh, kids today may not realize that the extent of, of, of the fear that gripped Americans during that time, fortunately it blew over, um, and it didn't blow up. Um, but here we are, um, we're allying with a future enemy, basically. Uh, any comments about that or observations? I, I find that curious, if, if nothing else. Well, very uh, often the your your ally in one war is your enemy in the next, and and yeah. vice versa. Yeah. I mean, uh, we you know at, at the beginning of our nation, we we fought two wars against Great Britain. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. in the 20th century, uh, the, the key to the 20th century is the alliance between the U.S. and no Great question, Britain. they're one of our greatest right. allies. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. Well, you had. In essence, great philosophic agreement with uh, certain things. Great Britain uh, had, for example, the Reformation had had formed the ideals of Great Britain, and of course, they were the same that formed us. Right. Um, what you have with Russia, of course, we're lying in the World War One. There's still an Orthodox Christian nation. That's a good point. At that point, when you hit World War Two. Of course, it's totally different. You have a Marxist uh, mm-hmm. regime in there, and what you have is basically the enemy of my enemy is my friend. That's yeah. that's all it is. Yeah. And, it's, and unfortunately, and of course this is a whole different topic, I would say uh, Roosevelt was not that savvy and not nearly as much as mm-hmm. Winston Churchill. Right. Right. Now... Um, Russia and communism and Marxism. Can you talk a little bit about the philosophy of of communism, Marxism? Uh, Are they closely connected? Well, yes. I mean, communism is based on Karl Marx's writings. Uh, Took it beyond what Karl Marx himself Mm -hmm. had had thought or envisioned. I mean, Russia is the last place Karl Marx would ever have predicted to become the first communist nation. Mm. Uh, He assumed it would be the most advanced industrial nation and so germany or great britain to him or the united states were the logical countries to become uh, communist russia economically backward barely industrialized it it should never have happened there i mean the the irony is russia turned communist in many ways and then industrialized Hmm. by force under stalin Mm -hmm. uh in the 20s and 30s and 40s Mm -hmm. um so it, it it you know in many ways communism never lived up to the... Th- I mean, the, the theory of communism said that the state would wither away. <laughs> well, not only did it not wither away, it became the most intrusive, mm-hmm. invasive, uh, totalitarian uh, oh, yeah. state uh, you know that had existed to that point. I heard a story the other day, true story, without revealing the source or anything, and it was um, someone in, in um, another country that, that's communist, and uh, the family is working hard, and they want to get a raise, and uh, they realize, well, I'll have to join the Communist Party to get a raise. So um, they attempted to do that or did it, I don't know which, but um, because they 
held land, they were looked down upon by the Communist Party mm-hmm. um, because um, they owned a little business or loaned it land. Uh, that that's like a no no. And I'm thinking, what is wrong with you guys? You know that that's that's just the fruit of freedom. I mean, why right. why are you going against this common sense? Even even nature itself reveals these things. You know, right. let alone the Word of God yeah. regarding personal freedom and thou shalt not steal. So anyway, uh, it was it was kind of interesting to hear a story, and it was a very fresh story. Just just heard it in the past couple of weeks. Mm. But you have the dominant. You, you understand when you have communism, you have Marxism. It, it's always worked out this way. If you want to talk about a society where everything's equal, it's not a communist society. No, it's not. You have the haves and the have-nots, and there's no yeah. middle class in there. Yeah. And it, it, that's the way it works because the haves. It's it's almost a, a throwback to feudalism. The yeah, haves are the right. ones we know what's right for you. We're going to tell you what's yeah, right for you, true. and you're going to produce and make this whole society work. And it's yeah. like it's. I, I'm know. just amazed sometimes. Uh, I know I'm getting very contemporary now in in this discussion here. Yeah. Um, the tendencies towards um, embracing um, yeah. communism in our own day, and I have never felt such a in in a long time such a division between races, between classes of people as I do right now. Right. For whatever reason, and I think I know the reason, but I think it's tragic that people are using racism, people are using class warfare in order to um, promote their own political party. It's yeah. terrible. Yeah. It aggravates but, me. But one of the things that's, that's at the core of communism, one of the things that's at the core of Marxism is atheism well, there and you denial go. of God, and especially the Christian God, God who is, if you will. Yeah. And so what does God say in terms of race? Mm. We're all created with the Imago Dei. Yeah. Is there any room for racism there? No. Not at all. You know, Not at all. You see, and we look to God for our prosperity, our blessings, mm-hmm. and what Marxism says is, there is no God. We've got to look to ourselves, and soon you you find them following the the Nietzschean philosophy of the Ubermensch, uh, which brought on Nazism and very much communism as well, where you have the elite hmm. people who know what's right for everybody else. Yeah. Right. Now I'm looking at the clock, gentlemen. We got about two minutes left. Uh, we got into this discussion today as a follow up to the previous week, talking about World War One. Uh, we followed that all the way through and just basically touched the highlights. And World War One is, is completed. We talked a little bit about some of the mentality going forward towards World War Two. Uh, maybe some wrap-up thoughts. Um, I don't know. How can we avoid future wars? I mean, that's a, that's, that's a rough question to ask maybe, but it does pop into my mind. Uh, any, any guidelines? How to avoid war? Um, <laughs> Well, there's, as I think Mark said uh, last time, there, you know, Jesus told us that there will be wars and rumors of it's wars. That's true. Yeah. Um, I, I think we have to be on our guard to assume that wars will provide final solutions. Yes. Uh, you know, the, the, that's what you really see in World War One. Well, if we can just win this war, that will solve all the world's yes. problems. Well, no. When Jesus Christ returns yes. and the new heaven and the new earth are unveiled, 
that will solve the that world's is problems. The ultimate. Nothing before that right. is going and to that, do it. That's exactly right. right. And we see glimpses of his freedom and peace imperfectly right. implemented as people submit to his lordship, you right. know, in this in this day. But it, again, it's always imperfect. Well, exactly this right. is a plain answer today. My guest has been Dr. Hans Vogt and Pastor Mark Diedrich. I want to thank you, fellas, very much for a, for a good discussion. Um, if someone wants to ask either of you a question, um, should we just use the email address here at the station? Okay, and that is ministry at redeemerbroadcasting.org. And, of course, um, if you want to take a good history course, look up Hans Vogt at Ulster County Community College and take a history course. You'll have a blast. Okay, Mark, thanks for joining us also. And um, any other final comments before we close? We trust in the Lord, and that's what we do. We follow God regardless of where we're at. And he is the one who breaks the bow and and ends wars. And so Mm. uh, we follow him always, and that's where we get our marching orders. Mm. Well put. For Redeemer Broadcasting, I'm Dan Elmendorf. Please join us again next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. 